Greetings everyone, this is Abhishek Bhadra, aka AB, and you are listening to the Fibonacci Talks. Everyone has their own way of expression. I believe uh, we all have a lot to say, but finding ways to say it is more than half the battle won. Fibonacci Talks uh, is a very personal journey where I take a baby step to express myself and have meaningful conversations with all of you. Fibonacci Talks is for the people whose spectrum of interest ranges from data, AI, leadership, to science, mathematics, philosophy, and consciousness. Thank you for joining me in this wonderful journey. ChatGPT is the hottest topic in tech right now. So in today's episode, we'll attempt to separate the wheat from the chaff and unpack the enigma called ChatGPT. In the first segment, we'll quickly talk about the history of ChatGPT, its parent company, OpenAI, its founders, and their initial mission statement. In the second segment, we'll understand the fundamental concepts behind ChatGPT and get a little technical with machine learning theories. In the third segment, we'll explore some of the current and probable use cases of ChatGPT and how this model will be augmented into enterprises and our day-to-day lives. In the fourth segment, we'll discuss a 1985 Steve Jobs interview where the man literally predicts the future and lays out the roadmap for conversational AI. In the fifth segment, we'll explore humankind's continuous endeavor to invent shortcuts and talk about mathematician John Napier's contribution in building one of the greatest mathematical shortcuts ever. And in the last segment, we'll delve into the subject of consciousness. For the uninitiated, ChatGPT is a chatbot created by the company called OpenAI where users can ask questions and the platform uses artificial intelligence to provide responses which closely resembles a human response. ChatGPT can respond to numerous questions in a natural way, much like a personal tutor who is well-versed in all subjects. It's often presented Uh, in the last few days as an alternative to Google search. GPT uh, is the acronym for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer and ChatGPT is built on OpenAI's GPT 3.5 family of large language models. It was launched as a prototype on November 2022 and garnered attention for its articulate and detailed response across multiple domains. Here's a bit of a history lesson. OpenAI was founded by Elon Musk, Sam Altman, and nearly 20 others in 2015. It was originally structured as a non-profit and uh, the organization did not accept any investments. Instead, they took a billion dollars in donations from Peter Thiel, Reid Hoffman, 
Jessica Livingston and few more notable names. The initial team had nine top AI researchers. Some of them actually took lower salaries to join OpenAI because to them, the mission was the most attractive part of the job. So let's go back to the mission statement. OpenAI's mission statement was to ensure that artificial general intelligence benefits all of humanity. And they see this in two different ways. One is to keep AI away from any kind of a centralized control. And the second one is to look out for humanity once AGI is achieved. As a result, the company was originally a non-profit research organization. They stated that they would freely share their research and technology with other organizations. Sam Altman, the CEO, has repeatedly stated that they had no idea whatsoever how they would make money. Back in 2018, Elon Musk stepped down from OpenAI's board of directors, primarily to avoid a future conflict of interest with Tesla's self-driving car algorithm. The next year, they raised another billion dollars from Microsoft. And Altman said that they would likely spend it within a span of five years or possibly much faster. As a part of the deal, Microsoft Azure became OpenAI's cloud services provider. And since ChatGPT reportedly costs around $3 million per day to run, yes, that's the number, a good portion of that capital is going right back to them. Now, Microsoft's investment meant that OpenAI would eventually need to make money, right? So as a result, they launched OpenAI LP as a subsidiary company focused on generating revenue from the tech. However, the parent company remains, still remains non-profit. Now, since then, since that billion dollar investment from Microsoft, they have launched some of the incredible products. For example, DALI 2 turns text into realistic images. I think all of us have tried that. GPT-3 generates human level text. Musenet generates four minutes of original songs. ChatGPT, what we're discussing right now, lets anyone interact with GPT-3 and it has already hit a million users, probably in the span of five days. GPT-3 is reportedly trained on over 1.75, actually it's not 1.75, it's 175 billion different parameters. And there are rumors that GPT-4 may be out in the next few months. And it's going to be a huge step forward. Currently, OpenAI is worth $20 billion. And I think the valuation is going to increase in the coming few years. First, let's deep dive into how ChatGPT actually works. 
to understand the mechanics of chat gpt we need to deep dive into three fundamental concepts number one machine learning number two natural language processing or nlp and number three large language transformer models in short machine learning is the art and science of building software systems that can detect patterns and formulate approximations after being fed with multiple examples or data instances john mccarthy mathematics professor at dartmouth defined machine learning as a science and engineering of making intelligent machines to understand the difference between standard heuristics and machine learning algorithms consider the difference between a way a young child learns a language and the way most of us adults learn a second one i'm a father of a 5 year old and i've observed that my son learns by listening and absorbing kids hear the people around them speaking absorb some of the words and rules and semantics and grammar and at some point start seeing things themselves they get feedback and corrections on the mistakes they make and eventually become quite good at speaking a human tongue for an average adult learner like myself and most of the listeners of this podcast things are not so rosy out there when we set out to master a second language we are immediately confronted by a thicket of rules and heuristics like where to put the pronouns in the sentence which prepositions to use how to conjugate a verb how to distinguish between subject and object and so on and so forth as if just memorizing the vocabulary was not tooth grindingly difficult enough the complex and inconsistent nature of linguistics considerably slow down our learning process so to summarize young kids don't need explicit lessons in rules to learn a language and most adults cannot learn a language without the rules a neural network which is a machine learning architecture and can be termed as a scaled down version of the human brain works very similar to a child's brain they both operate on statistical principles to discern patterns in linguistics whereas an adult brain has more similarities with any heuristic driven algorithms which usually learns through explicit rules laid out to them the next concept to understand is natural language processing or nlp nlp is a branch of machine learning that helps computers understand interpret manipulate and even generate human language as a human we may speak and write in different languages like english spanish or bengali but a computer's native language known as machine code or machine language is largely incomprehensible to most people at the lowest levels communication occurs not with words but through millions of zeros and ones that produce logical actions 
think about this example. Today, I can say, Alexa, I like the song Shine On You Crazy Diamond. And a device playing music in my room will lower the volume and say, okay, rating saved in a human-like voice. Then it adapts its algorithm to play that song by Pink Floyd or any other songs which are statistically similar to it like Dylan's Tambourine Man the next time listen to that music station. Let's take a closer look at that interaction. The device activated when it heard me speak understood the unspoken intent in the comment executed an action and provided feedback in a well-formed English sentence all in the space of about five seconds. The complete interaction was made possible by NLP. NLP helps computers communicate with humans in their own language and scales other language-related tasks. For example, NLP makes it possible for computers to read text, hear speech, interpret it, measure sentiment, and determine which parts of speech are important. Human languages are astoundingly complex and diverse. We express ourselves in infinite ways, both verbally and in writing. Not only there are hundreds of languages and dialects, but within each language is a unique set of grammar and syntax and rules and terms and slangs. When we write, we often misspell or abbreviate words or omit punctuation. When we speak, we have regional accents, we have stutters and we mumble and we borrow terms from other languages. Then there's linguistic ambiguity. For example, in the sentence, I went to the bank. The word bank may refer to a financial bank as well as a river bank. Hence, to address all the linguistic nuances, the process of natural language processing is divided into five major stages. Stage one, morphological or lexical analysis that deals with text at the individual word level. It looks for morphemes, the smallest unit of a word. For example, the word irrationally can be broken into IR, which is a prefix, ration, which is a root, and ly, which is a suffix. Lexical analysis finds the relation between these morphemes and converts the word into its root form. A lexical analyzer also assigns the possible part of speech to that word. For example, the word character can be used as a noun or a verb. Stage two is syntax analysis. Syntax analysis ensures that a given piece of text is of correct structure. It tries to pass the sentence to check correct grammar at the sentence level. 
For example, I'm eating breakfast is a correct syntax, whereas eating breakfast I am is not the correct syntax. Stage three is semantic analysis. Consider the sentence, the apple ate a banana. Although the sentence is syntactically correct, it doesn't make sense because apples cannot eat. Semantic analysis looks for meaning in the given sentence. Stage four is discourse. Discourse deals with the effect of a previous sentence on the sentence in consideration. In the text, Jack is a bright student. He spends most of the time in the library. Here, discourse assigns he to refer to Jack. The final stage of NLP is pragmatics. Pragmatics interprets the given text using information from all the previous stages. For example, given a sentence, turn off the lights is an order or a request to switch off the lights. There are tons of other sub-steps in NLP like tokenization, stemming, lemmatization, part of speech tagging, named entity recognition, but that's for some other day to discuss. The last concept that we need to understand would be that of a large language transformer model. Transformer models are a type of neural network architecture that has been widely used in natural language processing tasks such as machine translation, language modeling, and text classification. Before transformer models, most NLP models relied on recurrent neural networks or RNNs to process sequence of words while RNNs are effective at simple NLP tasks like autocorrect. They can be inefficient and difficult to train on long sequences like language translation. So in 2017, researchers at Google introduced transformer models as an alternative to RNNs for NLP tasks. One of the key innovations of transformer models is the use of the attention mechanism, which allows the model to selectively focus on certain parts of the input and generate more accurate hidden representations. So what are these hidden representations? A neural network typically has an input layer, hidden layers, output layer, and an activation layer. The output from hidden layers in a neural network are just raw data. What the machine learns to do with that data, how they represent these features, is known as hidden representation. Transformer models are also more efficient and easier to train than RNNs as they do not require sequential processing of the input. So here's how a transformer model typically works. The model takes a sequence of words or tokens as inputs and converts them into a numerical 
representation called embeddings then that numeric representation of the meaning of the sentence is given to a decoder which then decodes it into a target language such as english chat gpt largely uses the decoder part of the transformer architecture in auto regressive form which means it is optimized to predict the next token a word in a sequence one of the largest problems with using a model's own output as input is that it can cause unpredictable and unintended behaviors and that's why legacy transformer models often made of facts generated biased text or even did not follow the user's prompt properly this is one of the areas that chat gpt massively improved open ai describes that they train this model using reinforcement learning from human feedback but with slight differences in the data collection setup they apparently trained an initial model using supervised fine tuning where human ai trainers provided conversations in which they played both sides the user and an ai assistant the trainers were given access to model written suggestions to help them compose their response finally the trainers used to rank the responses and use the ranking as a feedback to the model what is reinforcement learning reinforcement learning is a type of machine learning that involves training a model to take actions in an environment in order to maximize a reward signal this approach is often used in situations where it is difficult to explicitly define a set of rules for the model to follow as it allows the model to learn from experience and adapt its behavior accordingly chat gpt is not just any transformer model it's a model with 175 billion parameters what do i really mean by that in a transformer model the number of parameters refers to the number of values that are learned during training these values are used to make predictions and are stored in the model's parameters the number of parameters in a transformer model can be quite large as it has to store values for all of the different layers and attention heads in the model a large number of parameters usually means that the model is more flexible and can potentially learn more complex patterns but it can also make the model more prone to overfitting if it's not properly regularized now let's look at the chat gpt use cases there are plethora of common use cases available in the internet where chat gpt either writes an assignment or composes a song or completes a c++ code hence i'm not going to cover any of that we'll focus only on the enterprise use cases which i think are scalable and has a potential to disrupt the process today we'll discuss two probable use cases of chat gpt in the 
enterprises number one contact center number two contract management chat gpt can be augmented in the contact center processes to improve some of its key matrices for example number one average handling time this is the average amount of time it takes for an agent to complete a customer interaction including all the necessary tasks such as handling the query and entering the data into the system chat gpt can help reduce aht or average handle time by providing quick responses to customer inquiries and automating some tasks number two fcr or first contact resolution this is a percentage of customer inquiries that are resolved on the first contact chat gpt can help improve fcr by providing accurate and complete responses to customer inquiries reducing the need for customer to follow up number three and most importantly csat or customer satisfaction which is a measure of how satisfied customers are with the services they have received chat gpt can help improve csat by providing natural and engaging conversations with customers number four abandonment rate which is a percentage of customers who hang up before speaking with an agent chat gpt can help reduce the abandonment rate by providing quick responses to customer inquiries reducing the time customers spend waiting on hold lastly agent occupancy which is a percentage of time that agents are occupied with customer interactions chat gpt can help increase agent occupancy by handling some of the tasks that would otherwise be handled by agents allowing them to focus on more complex tasks the second use case is that of contract management a key sub process of contract management is contract generation it's a highly manual and time consuming process in domains such as cpg and retail aviation energy pharma automotive etc if the chat gpt can be trained on a bunch of domain specific contract terms and conditions i believe it can easily generate industry specific contracts if a list of contract parameters are fed into it as inputs now in both these use cases a significant amount of manual tasks can be automated through augmenting chat gpt in the core business process please feel free to reach out if you want to brainstorm about any other enterprise use cases of chat gpt how can we have a discussion on technology and philosophy and not reference the great steve jobs the man could literally predict the future so for example back in 985 he said that the use of personal computers would spread into the homes of millions of people 
difficult to imagine now but back then the usage of computers was restricted to a handful of companies and few educational institutions in the same interview he also explained that the most compelling reason for people to buy a home computer would be to link it into a nationwide communications network think about it a nationwide communications network in other words he envisioned the world wide web so there are tons of other cool stuff that he predicted but i want to specifically read out an excerpt from a 1985 interview to the playboy magazine where he talks about having meaningful and contextual conversations with the computer essentially he predicted the advent of chat gpt almost 40 years back so here it goes the interviewer asks we've talked about what you see in the near future what about the far future if we are still in kindergarten and you start imagining some of the ways computers are going to change our lives what do you see steve answers when i came back from india i found myself asking what was the most important thing that had struck me and i think it was that western rational thought is not an innate human characteristic it is a learned ability i had it had never occurred to me that if no one taught us how to think this way we would not think this way and yet that's the way it is obviously one of the great challenges of an education is to teach us how to think what we are finding is that computers are actually going to affect the quality of thinking as more and more of our children have these tools available to them humans are tool users what's really incredible about a book is that you can read what aristotle wrote you don't have to have some teacher's interpretation of aristotle you can certainly get that but you can read exactly what aristotle wrote that direct transmission of thoughts and ideas is one of the key building blocks of why we are where we are as a society but the problem with the book is that you cannot ask aristotle a question i think one of the potentials of the computer is to somehow capture the fundamental underlying principles of an experience then the interviewer asks for example steve says here's a crude example the original video game pong captured the principles of gravity angular momentum and things like that to where each game obeyed those underlying principles and yet every game was different sort of like life that's the simplest example and what computer programming can do is to capture the underlying principles the underlying essence and then facilitate thousands of experiences based on that perception of the underlying principles now what if we could capture aristotle's world view the underlying principles of his world view then you could ask then you could actually ask aristotle a question okay you might say it would not be exactly what aristotle was it could be all wrong 
but maybe not. Then the interviewer asks again, but you would say it was at least interesting feedback. Steve answers, exactly. Part of the challenge I think is to get these tools to millions and tens of millions of people and to start to refine these tools so that someday we can crudely and then in a more refined sense capture an Aristotle or an Einstein while he's alive. Imagine what that could be what that could be like for a young kid growing up. Forget the young kid for us and that's the part of the challenge. The last question the interviewer asks is, will you be working on that yourself? Steve answers, that's for someone else. It's for the next generation. I think an interesting challenge in this area of intellectual inquiry is to grow obsolete gracefully in the sense that things are changing so fast that certainly by the end of the 80s, we really want to turn over the reins to the next generation whose fundamental perceptions are state-of-the-art perceptions so that they can go on, stand on our shoulders and go much further. It's a very interesting challenge, isn't it? How to grow obsolete with grace. That was the excerpt. What a man and what a thought. 40 years back, he talks about programmatically codifying the intellect of an Aristotle or an Albert Einstein and have meaningful conversations with that algorithm. That's exactly what ChatGPT does. ChatGPT or any other large language transformer models are humble attempts to codify human intellect using massive compute and huge data streams. Obviously, he was overtly optimistic about the timeline of this innovation because it took 30 more years and the best brains of the industry to create the first transformer model. But it's eerie how he got this prediction right. I had goosebumps when I first read it and hence thought of sharing this with all of you. Since the Stone Ages, we humans have been inventing shortcuts to simplify complex tasks. I think ChatGPT is another one of those shortcuts which will eventually augment human lives and amplify your output. And just like the wheel or the abacus. Let me share an interesting history of shortcuts from the world of mathematics. It's a story of Scottish mathematician John Napier. Born in 1550, Napier was not just a mathematician, but also an expert in theological studies. His neighbors believed that he was a sorcerer because of his obsession with black magic and occult. And Napier capitalized on the local belief that he was, in fact, a sorcerer. Once, to catch a thief among his staff, he told them that his black rooster had magical powers to catch criminals. One by one, the staff had to enter the room where the rooster lived and pet the bird. Napier claimed that it would cry out when touched by a thief. When all the staff were done visiting the rooster, Napier asked them to show him their hands. 
all but one had soot in their hands. Napier had covered the rooster with soot, knowing very well that only the real thief would be too afraid to pet the bird. John Napier was also the inventor of one of the best known shortcuts in the world of mathematics. He unlocked the power of logarithms by inventing the log table, which essentially turns the complicated job of multiplying two huge numbers together into a much simpler job of addition. The logarithm function is one of the greatest inventions in the history of humankind because for centuries, it provided an amazing shortcut to scientists, engineers, astronomers to simplify complex calculations and accelerate the rate of innovations. The logarithm function is a shortcut that augmented and amplified human intelligence beyond the unthinkable for centuries before the advent of calculators. In the last segment, let's delve into the subject of consciousness. Consciousness is the state of being aware of one's thoughts, feelings, and surroundings. It is a complex and multifaceted concept that has been studied by philosophers, scientists, and scholars from a variety of disciplines. In philosophy, consciousness is often studied in the context of the mind-body problem which is a question of how the mind and body are related. Some philosophers argue that consciousness is a property of the mind, while others argue that it's a property of the brain. There's an ongoing debate amongst philosophers and scientists about whether it is possible to fully understand and codify consciousness. Some believe that it is possible to develop a scientific theory of consciousness while others argue that consciousness is a fundamentally subjective and personal experience that cannot be fully captured by science. If it's possible to codify consciousness, it is likely to involve a combination of approaches from various different fields such as neuroscience, psychology, computer science, theology. For example, researchers might study the brain and try to understand how it generates consciousness and might create a simulation capable of experiencing consciousness in a similar way as that of humans. We'll discuss three different views of consciousness today. Number one, Roger Penrose's view. Number two, Rene Descartes' view. Number three, the Advaita Vedanta view. Roger Penrose is a mathematician and a physicist who has made significant contributions to the study of consciousness. In his 1989 book, The Emperor's New Mind, Penrose argued that consciousness cannot be fully explained by current scientific theories and that it may be connected to fundamental features of the universe that are not yet understood. Penrose proposed the idea that consciousness arises from quantum processes in the brain, which he called the quantum mind. According to this view, 
consciousness is not a property of the brain itself but rather a consequence of the brain's ability to process quantum information penrose's ideas have been controversial and have not been widely accepted by the scientific community some scientists have argued that there is no evidence to support the idea of a quantum mind and that it is more likely that consciousness arises from the complex computations performed by neurons in the brain in terms of the theological view of consciousness penrose's ideas do not necessarily conflict with the belief that consciousness is a spiritual or divine aspect of human existence however his ideas are largely based on scientific principles and do not directly address the philosophical or theological aspects of consciousness the second view is rene descartes view descartes was a french philosopher and mathematician who is known for his contributions to the study of consciousness in his writings descartes argued that consciousness is a property of the mind and that the mind is distinct from the body according to descartes the mind is an immaterial substance that is capable of thinking perceiving and experiencing he argued that the mind is the seat of consciousness and that it is responsible for all mental states and activities including sensations thoughts and emotions descartes believed that the mind and body are separate entities that interact with each other through the pineal gland which is a small gland located in the brain he argued that the mind and body are fundamentally different and the mind cannot be reduced to the physical processes of the brain descartes idea about consciousness have had a significant influence on the study of the mind and have shaped many of the debates and discussions that have followed however his ideas have also been the subject of much criticism and have not been widely accepted by the scientific community the last view is the advaita vedanta view advaita vedanta is a school of indian philosophy that emphasizes the concept of non duality or the idea that ultimate reality is a single undivided consciousness according to advaita vedanta consciousness is the fundamental essence of the universe and is a source of all individual consciousness according to advaita vedanta the individual self or the jiva is not a separate entity from the ultimate reality or the brahman but rather an illusion created by the individual ego the goal of advaita vedanta is to help individuals realize their true nature as a non-dual consciousness brahman and to overcome the illusion of the ego and the individual self in advaita vedanta consciousness is seen as the ultimate reality and is believed to be beyond time space and causation it is also seen as being beyond words and concepts and as such it cannot be fully described or understood through language or logic ultimately the question of whether it is possible to fully understand and codify consciousness 
is a complex and multifaceted one and it is likely to be the subject of continued debate and research in the future. However, I do believe that ChatGPT or, or any other large language transformer models are probably the right step towards codifying consciousness. Let's keep chasing curiosity. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode and for that, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Hope you enjoyed this new episode and if you did, please subscribe to Fibonacci Talks and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please also share this episode with others who might be interested in these conversations. See you on the other side. Stay curious.